0: Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's Weekly Message Series. And now here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So this morning we're going to be um, continuing the series that we started a couple of weeks ago, Godly Wisdom for Life, the game of life, um, and, and how, uh, how to get better at living and how to live the best life you possibly can. Um, and, and one of the things we've said all along is understand your life is moving. Okay? It is constantly in motion. It is heading a direction. It always is. Your life doesn't stay in one place. It's always moving. It's moving down a path. It's moving in a direction, and that direction will lead to a destination. And in fact, where you are right now in your life is more than likely attributed to the choices that you've made up till now. And where you eventually end up in life will be about the choices that you make along the way. And the book of Proverbs is all about making wise choices. So that's why we've kind of settled in here. It's godly wisdom. And and the question we've been saying every week, the question you need to keep asking yourself, the question all of us need to keep asking ourselves is, do we really believe God loves me and he wants the very best for my life? Really? I mean, do I really believe that? Because I can say that, but if I don't really believe that, then I'll read his commands, I'll read his precepts, I'll read his directions and his wisdom, but I won't follow it. I'll think I know better. If I truly believe God loves me and he wants the very best for my life, then I'll follow his directions. I will will obey his commandments because even if I don't understand them, I know they're heading me down the right path because God's not going to lead me in the wrong direction. Um, so that's what we're doing. We started with uh, just talking about decision-making in general and godly wisdom for your decisions. Uh, we talked about decisions uh, regarding your friendships and your relationships and how to build good, strong relationships. Last week, we talked about God's wisdom for your finances. Um, and today, we're going to talk about family because uh, everybody has one, okay? Everybody's in one. Uh, like it or not, you're stuck with those people. And, um, and I hope this morning um, that what we talk about is going to be helpful to young people, to old people, uh, to married, to single, to parents, to children, um, because the Bible says an awful lot, and particularly Proverbs says an awful lot about making wise decisions and how to wisely build your family. Um, and and by the way, just we're just going to be able to touch on a few of these things this morning. Uh, and at the end of February, we're going to have signups for Northgate U, and we're actually going to do a six-week course on building a strong family. And uh, my wife and I are actually going to teach it. So. We'll tell you all the things we learned the wrong way, and then you don't have to make the same mistakes. Um, but I, I think you'll find it helpful. This morning, we're just going to have to be able to just kind of focus in on, on five particular principles. Um, and, and the reason we're doing all of this is because a lot of us think we don't need any advice in marriage and love. We know all that. You know, we kind of pretty much got that down. But if we were truly honest with ourselves, you know, we'd have to admit in a lot of areas, we just don't have a clue. And so God gives us some real godly wisdom for all of that. Um, I actually came across this a couple weeks ago. Uh, A a group of young children were asked some questions about love and dating and marriage and all these things. And I want to just give you some of their answers, okay? Questions that little kids have been asked about this. Um, First question, what do most people do on a date? Martin, age 10. On the first date, they just tell each other lies. That usually gets them interested enough to go for a second date. A lot of insight Martin has. At a young age of 10. Uh, Second question. Is it better to be single or to be married? Anita, age 9. It's better for girls to be single, but not for boys. Boys need somebody to clean up after them. Will, age 7. It gives me a headache to think about that stuff. I'm just a kid. I don't need that kind of trouble. (laughs) Next question. How do people in love typically behave? Wendy, age 8. When a person gets kissed for the very first time, they fall down and don't get up for at least an hour. <laughs> very high standards there, Wendy is setting. Um, next question. How do you make love endure? Aaron, age 8. Don't forget your wife's name. That will mess up love. <laughs> David, David, age 8. Be a good kisser. That will make your wife forget you never take out the trash. Um, questions about uh, love and beauty and falling in love and all that thing and, and, and where, love, where beauty falls in physical attraction, all that kind of stuff um, what should you look for? Christine, age 9 beauty is only skin deep but how rich you are can last a long time <laughs> last question um, what are some surefire ways to make someone fall in love with you? Dale, age 6 tell them you own a whole bunch of candy stores Or Camille, age 9, shake your hips and hope for the best. I don't know where she learned that, but... uh... Well, we're going to give you some better advice this morning, okay? Um, We're going to take a look at what God has to say, because I think he has a lot of real, really good, um, practical wisdom for family life. And so, like I said, there's there's a lot of things that he covers. We're just going to focus in on five of them this morning. It's a lot of material to cover, so... uh, we're going to go pretty quick here. So we're going to just start at the beginning. Uh, when it comes to being single and looking for a mate or, or looking for a life partner, looking for a spouse, the first thing he says is simply use mature judgment. Use mature judgment. Be wise in your decision making. Now, marriage private tells us, marriage is a good thing. Proverbs 18, 22. By the way, that's a typo in your outline there. And I wish I could blame somebody else, but I did that. So, um, but it's Proverbs 18, not 11. Proverbs 18, 22. He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Now, remember the Proverbs are Solomon writing to his son. Okay, so there's definitely a male slant to this. So uh, for you women, you can, you can kind of, in most of these, you can reverse that. And say the same thing. He who finds a husband finds what is good. It's a gift from God. That's what he says. It's a gift from God. Sharing, being able to share your life with somebody else is a gift from God. And some of you are kind of wondering, what's God's return policy on gifts, okay? (laughs) It's a gift. It really is. But it is not necessary. It is not necessary to be able to live a full, fulfilled life life and i want to speak this morning just to you who are single this morning let me tell you um there is a lot of pressure and there's just an assumption in our culture and it's all the way through our culture even in church you know we kind of promote this whole idea that that somehow everybody's going to get married and if you are not married that somehow there's something wrong with you where you're incomplete and that just isn't the case jesus himself led a single life But I think there's this assumption that everybody's just going to end up married. You know, you got to get married. Otherwise, you're not going to have a full life. There's this assumption. And if you add to that the incredible pressure, the incredible pressure in our culture to be sexually active outside of marriage, that that is just a lot of pressure. And the fact that you are single and you have chosen to live a godly life and to hold up those moral standards, even that you're here this morning pursuing a relationship with God and and, and looking to grow in spiritual maturity, that you are serving Him, you are giving, um, that you're involved in Christian community. That's a good thing too. So don't think because you're single, somehow you're less than anybody else, or your life can't be fulfilled. That just is not the case. Marriage is a good thing, but it's not the only thing. And some people think the best thing I could do would be to get married. No. No the best thing you could do would be to marry the right person. (laughs) Because marriage is not a fairy tale. You know, we grow up with this, and they live happily ever after. That just doesn't happen. Happily ever after doesn't just happen. Marriage is sometimes hard work. And sometimes, and it happens very often, I see this as a pastor, people who are overly eager to marry, that's a very, very dangerous thing. A very dangerous thing. Because you think this finding Mr. Wright or finding Ms. Wright is some mystical magical thing that just kind of happens to you. And 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 I don't know why it is, but somehow normally intelligent, wise, smart people lose their brains when they fall in love. It's like, well, it's gonna all work out somehow because we love each other. And otherwise, intelligent people just their brains go out the window. And instead of finding Mr. Right, they start settling for Mr. Right now. Don't be too quick to get married. In fact, I tell couples when I do premarital counseling, you ought to be together dating for at least a year. Because you want to see this other person in like every season, okay? You want to know what they're like in the summer. You want to know what they're like in the winter, you know? You know and, and not living together. Dating. Building a relationship outside of sex. Get to know the person before it becomes too physical. Because so often we're attracted on the physical side and we're missing out on the whole person. Don't be too quick. The choice on who to marry if you marry is probably outside of your relationship with God, your choice to follow him is probably the most crucial decision you will make in your life do not make it unwisely Proverbs 3:21 preserve sound judgment preserve hold on to it when your brain starts flying out the window preserve sound judgment and discernment do not let them out of your sight they will be life to you be with someone long enough for the feelings to fade Be with someone long enough that you see them without the makeup. Be with them long enough to see them when they're not on their best. Proverbs 31.30, another typo, my fault. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. In other words, look for the right things. Look for the eternal things. See somebody beyond the surface. Now, some of you this morning might be feeling like, well, maybe I married the wrong person. No, we didn't, we didn't wait that long. We just went ahead and got married. And, and, and now I've got my doubts and it's not quite so sure. You know, maybe I married the wrong person. My word for you this morning is, oops. No, it's not. No, it's not. The word for you this morning is grace. Because God can work in every situation. And it might be difficult for you right now. But look at what God can do. And particularly, maybe what God can do in you. Instead of looking for this other person to change, or making him change, or making her change, where do you need to change? See, God always takes us as is. But then he helps turn our lives in the right direction. And that's what we're talking about in this whole series. Wherever you're at right now, you can choose differently. So use mature judgment. Second thing is, when you choose, make an unwavering commitment. God's plan is one partner for life. Proverbs 5.15, be faithful to your own wife and give your love to her alone. Now again, we live in a culture that has a very, very low threshold for pain. And, and if, you know, I'm not happy in my marriage. Well, why should I live with somebody that doesn't make me happy? They must be the wrong person, so I'll just get out of it. No. When you do that, you are treating marriage more like a contract than a covenant. And they're two very different things. A contract says, where's my escape clause? How do I get out of this? A covenant says, no, I'm in this for the long haul. That's God's desire. He wants lifelong partnership. Longevity in your marriages. Proverbs 15, 18. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Not trade her in every seven years for a newer model. Stay with her. Rejoice in her. Be happy with her. Be happy with him. The one from your youth. Marriage does get sometimes hard. And you can ask anybody. Ask anybody who has been married 20 years or longer and they will tell you it's not always easy sometimes it's really difficult sometimes it's frustrating sometimes you'll have doubts and maybe think you married the wrong person anybody who's been married for any length of time will tell you everybody has those feelings my wife told me this week there was a time she hated me I said, hated me? well I never hated you she goes well I thought I hated you that made me feel so much better But you will have those times. You will. And and, and when you make the decision unwaveringly committed, instead of trying to find the right person or make him the right person, maybe choose to become the right person. Because maybe the problem isn't them. Maybe the difficulty in the marriage is me. You won't learn that if your commitment is shaky, and, and that, by the way, that carries all through, over into your family commitment as well. Kids need stability and security. They need safety. They need a home that they know that there is safety here. That this is secured. That we're not on shaky ground. And study after study after study has been done over and over again. And, and it doesn't. It sounds really, you know, like oh, you're just making that up. Honestly. Study after study after study shows that children that grow up in a stable and religious home, on average, statistically, tend to to be better off academically, socially, morally, intellectually, emotionally. Study after study shows that. And yet... And yet, in our culture, do you know that 40% of children are born into homes with no father? 40%. That's getting up there on... That doesn't speak very well of our culture. It does not speak well of our future. Your commitment. The best thing you can do for your kids is love your wife. (laughs) Love your husband. It carries over into your family commitment Over and over again. What you want to do is build in your family a legacy. A legacy of commitment that carries on from generation to generation to generation. Children's children are a crown to the aged. And parents are the pride of their children. Again, this morning, if you're divorced... If you find yourself in one of those kind of spots, let me tell you, again, I want to emphasize this. God always takes us as is. He takes us where we are right now. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin, nor does divorce make you a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. So let me make, be very, very clear about all of that. God takes us where we're at, but He tries to steer our lives in a better direction. So if you're in a marriage, make it an unwavering commitment. If you are considering marriage, ask yourself, can I live with this person for the rest of my life? Am I willing to make that commitment? Third thing, express continual affection. Continual affection. Nurture a lifelong courtship. Affection should not end at the altar. Why is it that couples that that you cannot separate while they are dating. I mean, you can't get a piece of paper between them while they're dating. Somehow, after they're married, they don't even hold hands anymore. Why does that happen? The affection in your marriage is up to you. It's up to you to make love last. If you reach over and you try to grab his hand and he pulls it away, you can't. two hands. You know, I'd be kind of, oh, this is weird. I'm married now. I don't have to do. Th-. Grab on with three hands. I don't know. Nurture affection. Like I said, your marriage is moving down a path. And if it's becoming less and less affectionate, that is not a good path. And you don't judge any relationship. Certainly do not judge a marriage by where it's at. You've got to look at where it's going. It's moving. One way or another, it is moving in a direction, and it's up to you. Continuing on, Proverbs 5, 18. We we did the first half of this before. Rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Yes, that's in the Bible. He said breasts in church. It's in Scripture. That's what I love about the Bible. It talks about real life. He's saying find your affection in her alone, in him alone. Don't go looking somewhere else. And if you find yourself looking other directions, that's a path. Make no mistakes. That is a path. By the way, affection is not just sex everything else it's the hand holding it's the hugs it's the cuddling on the sofa it's you know it's letting her put her stinking cold feet on your back in the bed <laughs> but i digress <laughs> you've got to nurture that you got to work at that all the time because i think when we're dating we think well if i don't you'll find somebody else he'll find somebody else but once we're married well i got her. i don't have to do it anymore Nurture it. Nurture it. And again, oh, let me say, this carries over to your kids. This carries over into your relationship with your family as well. Not just with your wife, not just with your husband. Express affection to your kids. When I, when I have premarital counseling with a couple, the first meeting is kind of a get acquainted. And one of the questions that I ask couples each one of them, tell me their story growing up. One of the questions I ask them is, how were feelings of love and affection shown in your home growing up? And you would be amazed at the number of people who say to me, well, we weren't very huggy kissy. We didn't say it a whole lot. It was more like we bought things for each other or gifts or helped out or other things. That's just sad. sad. Show affection to your kids. Hug them. Spent. You know how to, do you know how to spell love to your kids? T-I-M-E. Time. Time. Not M-O-N-E-Y. T-I-M-E. Time with your kids. Your time at home with your family, your time at home with your kids is the most important time you spend it is. And I will tell you, I will tell you, long after Xbox 360 is broken and in a landfill, long after PS3 becomes PS4, PS5, PS, and whatever, long after all those things are long gone, they will not remember a thing of those. What they will remember is that you never missed a Little League game, that you showed up for their dance recitals. You were there for the school play. You were there for open house. You spent time as a family together. You went vacationing together. You did, family, you did family outings. Those are the things that will be remembered. Trust me. The time that you spend with your kids is far more important than any assignment you have at your job. And if you are staying late at work and missing a dance recital, an open house, you are making the wrong choice. That is, Your boss is not going to care how much time you spent with him 20 years from now, but your kid will. He will. Put priority on your family. It's far more important than... Your job and your position and your raises and your income. Look at this. Proverbs 19, 18. Um, excuse me. Proverbs 23, 4. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Getting it all isn't getting it all. Proverbs 17:1. Better eat a dry crust of bread in peace and quiet than to eat a big dinner in a house that is full of fighting. In other words, it is better to be poor and have a harmonious together family than to have all the wealth and riches and everybody's at each other's throat and nobody loves each other. You've probably seen the ads. You know, they go something like two tickets in the bleachers, eight dollars. Two hot dogs, two peanuts, two sodas, eighteen dollars. Autographed baseball, $45. An afternoon with your 11-year-old son, priceless. And that's a credit card company telling you that. Okay? Even they got that figured it out. That's the most important time you can spend. Continual affection. Fourth, provide loving discipline. Proverbs 25, 28 says, Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. It starts with your own self-discipline. And if you're not a very disciplined person, this is something... Because you can't give away what you don't have. You 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 can't impart to someone what's not going on in your own life. He says... A man who lacks that self-control is like a a city with the walls broken down. Now, we don't understand that because we don't live in cities that have walls. But when this was written, the walls were the most important thing. Walls of a city, thats the walls gave security. The walls provided safety. The walls are what allowed for community to happen. The walls were the things that allowed commerce to happen. Everything that happened within the city happened in the city because the walls were strong and kept it protected. And when the walls were broken down, it didn't matter what you had before. It was all at risk. And he's saying, if you do not have the self-discipline, no matter what else you have, it's at risk. It's at risk. You've got to be disciplined yourself. And then teach your children. Teach your children. Discipline your son for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Discipline is an act of love. Yeah, but I feel like I'm always the bad guy. You are loving them. Yeah, you know, but if he's like, I'm just nagging them, I'm, hanging, you know, I'm haranguing on them all the time, well, then get creative. I heard this, Andy Stanley, preacher, um, church down in Atlanta. Great guy, great preacher. He tells a story. What they did when um, their kids were young growing up, one of the things that they did was they wanted to teach their children discipline. They wanted to teach their children that, um, that the decisions that you make have repercussions. They, they, you got to take responsibility for your own life, in other words. And so one of the things he would do is he would come into the bathroom and the towel would be laying on the floor and he would call his son, call him in and say, oh, son of mine, I want you to ask me to pick up your towel for you. And he'd start to pick up the towel. No, 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 no. I want you to ask me to pick up your towel for you. He so, oh, dad, no, I want you to say, father of mine, I am too lazy to pick up after myself. I want you to come and clean up my mess. And then the, he would take it further. He would go like in the rooms, and the rooms were kind of messy, and he would go and call the children back in. He says, I want you to call your mother. Why, dad? Just call your mother. Mom, come in. You know, she'd come up the stairs. Now, I want you to tell your mother to pick up your clothes for you. Oh, Dad, tell your mother, I am too lazy to take care of myself. I want you to come along and clean up my mess and put my stuff back where it belongs. He said, I wanted my kids to know that when you don't take responsibility for your life, somebody else has to pick up after you. There's always somebody who has to clean up your mess. Why didn't I hear that sermon 20 years ago? I'll just that's worth the price of admission right there, you know. (laughs) But the idea is with discipline is you are providing for them a measure of discipline until they get to the age where they can become self-disciplined. Because they don't have that when they're one, two, believe me, when they're two, three, four. But you provide the discipline so that as they get older, they become self disciplined. Proverbs twenty two six. train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Now, that is not a formula for success. That is not an ironclad guarantee. We, we talked about this all through the Proverbs. These are, that's not what these are. These are just saying, if you will follow these precepts, if you will head down this path, if you will steal your children down this path, it is more than likely that this will be the end of that. This is where that path will lead. It is not a guarantee, and I want to say that because this verse has sometimes been a source of real pain and grief to parents. Because their kids are rebellious, or something goes wrong, and, and they think, what did I do wrong? What, it's, it's all on me. No, they make their own decisions. All this is saying is, if you will point them in the right direction, if you will keep them heading in the right direction, that stuff will stay with them. Even if they rebel and go somewhere else and you know, do something else with it, it will not go away from them. And eventually, more than likely, it's going to come back. So don't beat yourself up as a parent if your kid's going through a rebellious stage right now. Just keep providing loving discipline. And then the last one, model a living faith. There is nothing, nothing that brings joy to a Christ follower than when his children, her children, start following Jesus too. There is nothing more fulfilling than that. Proverbs 23, 24. The father of a righteous man has great joy. He who has a wise son delights in him. And I see that every time we have a baptism here. And teenagers are getting baptized. And their parents are just bawling their eyes out, you know. Because, yeah, they got it. I will tell you, when our kids were very, very young, my number one goal, my number one goal as a parent was... By the time my children are out of the house, I want them to know, number one, that I love Jesus with all my heart. And number two, that they love him with all their heart too. Because I had seen too many pastors whose kids rebelled from God, from the church, from the faith, because they were too, giving too much time to their church and not to their family. And I said, I will never do that. My first priority is them. And so that was my number one goal. And you know, they may not be the greatest, greatest little league player. They may not be the greatest soccer player. They may not be the you know, valedictorian of their class. But if they love Jesus, I've done my job. I've done my job. And faith, by the way, is not learned in a Sunday morning class. Faith is not learned at a Wednesday night or a Tuesday night small group Bible study for teens. It isn't. Because at best, at best those teachers and youth leaders... Have your kids for an hour and a half a week. You have them pretty much the rest of the time. So don't expect the church to do that for you. That's your job. Because the way that they will learn it is they will learn it by your life. And if you are casual in your relationship with God, so will they. And if you are sporadic in your church attendance or you come in late every single Sunday morning, hint, 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 Guess what? So will they. And if everything else takes priority over God and your time with him, and, and this is more important and that's more important and the other more important, you know what? It will be the same for them because they are looking not at what you're talking about, at how you are living. And parents, I cannot emphasize this enough. You need to live out your faith Even if you make mistakes, live it out. Because that's where your kids are going to learn it. The lessons of faith are learned in life. Because faith is a life of trusting God. It's not an intellectual belief, it's a life of trusting. And that's why when God gave the law to Moses and he brought it to the people and he said to them, Teach this to your children when you sit at home, when you walk along the way, when you lie down, and when you get up. He's saying, because it's not a class. It's a life. And, and Solomon echoes this in the Proverbs. Proverbs 6.20. My son, keep your father's commands. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you are awake, they will speak to you. Your life, more than anything else, will impart faith to your kids. Because faith needs to invade every aspect of life. A lot of other things to say. I'm, I'm going to close with one last story and it's, I know I'm going to go long so just nobody look at the clock. Because I, I know because I told the story last service and we went overtime, but everybody said it was a good story anyway so I'm going to tell it. And if you don't like it there's something wrong with you. No. This goes back about 18, 19 years. The very early stage, the very first year of existence of Northgate Fellowship. And we were meeting in my living room. We were meeting in our home. Twelve adults, five kids. That's what we started with. And, of course, you know, twelve adults, that's like six families. There's not a whole lot of income, you know. Um, And so there was one Sunday after church, and I was talking with the treasurer, And she was telling us our financial picture, you know, that it was... Everything was really, really tight, which seems to always be the case in churches, which it shouldn't, but that's another, I won't go there. <laughs> she was telling me how, t- you know, things were really, really tight, and I didn't know it at the time, but my daughter, who at the time was about seven, six, seven years old, was behind us, and she overheard this conversation. She went up to her bedroom, and she had in her bedroom five, a stack of five silver dollars, she had gotten these silver dollars from her grandfather years and years ago. Grandfather died. She took those five silver dollars, brought them down, put them in the offering box. I didn't even know it. No, nobody knew it until the next week. Because in the next week, when we when we picked up the, you know, the offering, um, and, and the treasurer called me over and said, You gotta see this. You pull that and she pulled out and showed me the five silver dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so I pulled out a five dollar bill I gave it to her I took the five, five silver dollars and I just kept them I, I put them in my dresser I kept them for like 10, ten years I think it was on her 16th birthday that I pulled them out I said you may not even remember this Aaron but in the early days you heard that things were tight for the church And you took all that you had. Your very, very best. And you gave it to God. And I want you to know that when you are faithful to God, God is faithful to you. And I gave her back the five silver dollars. I see. we came from a church that was a big church, good-sized church, had a great children's program. And I will be honest with you, when we were thinking about planting a brand new church, one of my greatest fears was my kids are going to miss out on this great Sunday school that we have, this great children's program that we have. They're not going to have anything like that for at least a couple of years. My kids learned more about faith in those two years than hours and hours of Sunday school classes. And that's the deal. They're not going to learn it just from a teacher for an hour on a Sunday morning. They will learn it from you. And if you will take steps of faith, they will see that. And when you will honor God, they will see that. And when you treat them with grace and respect like God treats them, they will see that. It's the most important investment you can make in your life. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.